Hello team and welcome back to the Simply Fit Podcast. Today I bring you some incredible news. I have been working on a secret project for the past three or four months now and I now can tell you that the brand new follow along workout channel is live and here. On this YouTube channel, you're gonna find workouts for fat loss, muscle building, improving your cardio health, flexibility, everything is gonna be on there. You're gonna find body weight workouts, dumbbell workouts, kettlebell and resistance bands workouts, all that you can follow along with. And the best part is that it's completely free. They're also around 10 to 20 minutes long, meaning if you're short of time, you can quickly complete an effective workout or you can combine like two or three of them together and complete like a full 45 to 60 minute workout. New workouts will go live on the channel every Tuesday and Thursday and they're gonna be accompanied by an amazing backdrop, which I'm sure you're all gonna enjoy. So if you wanna find the channel, just search Elliot Hassoon into YouTube and you'll find it very easily. And please subscribe. It makes me very, very happy and it helps the channel grow. And feel free to tell your friends, your family, your pets, whoever you want to share this with and let's work out together. Hello team and welcome back to the Simply Fit Podcast. So I thought as we approach the end of the year, it would be fantastic to review the past year and I wanted to pick out 12 of my favorite lessons from 12 of the different experts that we've had on the show over the course of the past year. I thought it'd be a really good way to highlight some of the episodes you might have not seen or simply remind you of some of the episodes that have passed which were absolutely amazing but might not be so fresh in your mind. So first up, we have Coach Dan Reeve who has been my health and fitness coach for the majority of the past year. Dan has an immense amount of experience and knowledge in strength and endurance events. He's competed in many and he's done absolutely incredibly in many of them as well. So I really wanted to know, how do you cultivate the mindset of an elite athlete? Like genuinely, what does it take to complete a Decker Ironman? That's 24 miles of swimming, 1,120 miles of cycling, and 262 miles of running consecutively over the course of, I think it was nine days, I believe he mentioned. That's an insane amount of work. And here's exactly how he did it in his words. I think it's believing in the process, the, 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 the training you've done pre, prior to that. So you're there to, this is what you've trained to do. So if you've hit all of your sessions leading up to that, then you, you're prepared to do the goal. Like you could have done it on any day or any, any given day. I think when you get to that level of doing something like the Decker Ironman, you don't, you can't, like for a half marathon, most people, I want them to be pretty much almost run the half marathon before the day and then they can enjoy the day. Of the, of the half marathon or the marathon. They're competent, they're, they're happy that they're going to go through it and they, they can complete it. It's not going to be a struggle. And I think that's where you, you, you can enjoy it. And I think the, the occasion of like whatever it is, you don't want to be going through a load of pain in, on the day. You want to, it wants to be an enjoyable occasion. For something along the lines of the Decker Ironman, it's, it's a different kettle of fish because you can't really, the last thing you want to do is run 10 marathons back to back. Like we, in our training, building up to it, we did back-to-back marathons twice, and that was it. So really, after that, you're you're trusting the process that you've built the resilience, the fact that we'd, we'd trained every day for that period of time. We trained for up to six hours every day for that period of time. So we knew that we could cope with it. From there, it was then just saying to it, like, from my perspective, it was literally, I have nothing else to do today other than get from A to B that's what I'm here to do. So I'm just going to get from A to B. It's just taking one step after another step and continually saying to yourself, I've nothing else to do today. Like all I've got to do is just get there. So let's just get there. 
that's insane. And um, were there any points in which you were like, what the hell am I doing? I don't want to follow through with this. Was there a point in which you're like, maybe I'm not going to make this or did that? Because I, I should imagine like, even if you're confident, you've done all the stuff, like, because like you said, you can't complete a, an event like that prior to that event, right? It's only in the event that you're going to do it. So when those inner demons came in, if they did, like, how did you address that? And what type of them did you experience? In the swim, which which was always going to be the from everyone's perspective, I think the thing that limits people to doing these sort of challenges is going to be the swim. Like Me too. I think most people can cycle and most people could run if they trained hard. They could they could do those distances if they're a pretty good athlete. The swim is a limiting factor. It's twenty four miles. It was fourteen hours nonstop, and that's where that when we did it. I did it with, there's two of us who did it and there only was one other person in the UK had ever done it beforehand. There was less people had been to space than had done a Decker Ironman at the time when we did it. So you're talking elite of elite and you're talking not many people in, who've, who would have ever have done this. And with the swim, I'd, I'd put together, I, we, had a, we had a boat that was with us, with friends on. Each of us had us, we had our separate boats, we swam at different places and et cetera. But I'd given my friends and fam, like I had a couple of friends and family on the boat, and I'd give them an A4 sheet of how I needed them to behave, what I needed them to do during the whole the whole period of time. And one of the things was if I said I couldn't do it, they had to ask me if I could do one more stroke. If I could, if I said yes, then they had to tell me to get the fuck on with it. <laughs> <laughs> and that literally was my thing for for the swim. But that we, I, I also had other things like I had a whiteboard. And I had them writing things on it. So every time I could look over, they would they'd be writing different stories or reminding me of different thoughts and different things that we'd done together, experiences and different motivation stuff, et cetera. So that was one thing for the swim. And the swim was without doubt the, the, the hardest single day of exercise that I've ever done. And like we talked about before, I did a 24 hour cycle. That swim was considered was way, way harder because it was just me on my own with my own thoughts for 14, over 14 hours. So that was hard on the runs. The cycling part of it, we actually got stronger as we went on day by day by day, which happens with cycling. You you can get into a rhythm and you can actually get stronger because, again, it's less taxing on the body. You're not pounding on the floor. There's no contact. So you can actually get stronger and stronger. The I guess, runs, sorry, really, I guess after the swim, you, like for the most part, you're just recovering for those first, I don't know, 100 kilometers of the cycle. And then once you've recovered from the swim, you're like, okay, now I'm good to go. So you've picked up a little bit. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, so you pick up a little bit, you're changing, and actually, because you're sitting down the whole time, as long as you've got enough fuel and you manage your efforts, you don't go too hard, then you can go on forever and ever and ever. You can sit on a bike. And I actually did crash on the third day, which was a little bit, which did throw things out a little bit, but uh, just got back up and got on with it. And I was a bit bruised and sore, but it was, it was fine. But then when we got onto the run, the transition from the fight to the run was pretty much horrendous. You're using very different muscles. Then suddenly you go into the pounding on the floor. And after day one, there were doubts in my mind whether this was going to be possible now because I my quads I'd never felt pain to the point where the last couple of miles like was on verging on tears thinking like how can I possibly do this for another nine days but then sort of waking up the next day every single day there was a when you finished you there was a couple of hours where there was loads of sort of like happy smiles and joking and jovial behavior and everybody was like the whole camp and the whole sort of team were really happy and then as the evening wore on the mood came down as we sort of realized that we were going again the next day and then in the morning every morning we were pretty much horrible people to be around we were 
sort of like just scowling and just generally just in our own little worlds and we just need to be left alone just to get on with it. But on day three, Rob, the guy who I did it with, who uh, we just got into France because we actually ran from London to Paris. We were in France and it was we were in the middle of the countryside. Nobody was around us and he just stopped, broke down, started crying, saying, I can't do it. Just, just can't do it. And uh, we had to, we just, the rest of that day, we sort of like just, just walked and we just sort of got through that day. He, he was in pain. He had blisters all over his feet. His sort of ankles and shins were hurting a lot. And from my perspective, that gave me the confidence that I couldn't quit. Like oh. I could see how much he was hurting, and it it almost made me like strangely feel like I was okay. There was nothing wrong with me because he was. I could see he was having to concentrate on every single footstep going down, and I was like, "Yeah, I'm sore, but I'm not that sore." Yeah. So almost like because I could almost for me almost helping him along made it easier for me. So that was the one point of the run where we felt like we weren't going to do it. And that that day, we, the marathon took seven hours. Every other marathon was within was under four was under five hours. And we tried to run sub five, sub four hours on the eighth one, but we finished in four oh eight. So we didn't quite get under four hours on the on the eighth one, uh, which was a little bit annoying, but. We'll let ourselves off after all that. <laughs> now that was damn inspiring. And on to the next conversation I had with Anna Moon on episode 29. And one of the standout moments in this episode for me was the work that Anna did to overcome comparison syndrome and the anxiety she was experiencing as well. Anna once had 242,000 followers on Instagram. And as a 21-year-old woman, that was not going to be easy to navigate. And it certainly wasn't for her, nor do I think it would be for anyone. She since deleted that account and has really focused on her mental well-being. And here are some of the steps that she took that have helped her tremendously. Yeah, look, it's definitely something that I suffered with a lot. And the, the biggest problem was the A-moon fit. And it's no one else's problem. It's only your own. Um, it's no one else's fault. But like, I heard something, I can't remember whose podcast I was listening to. And it was, it was incredible, actually. It really resonated with me, although I've got past that now. Mm. Is that like, ask yourself a question. How many of your friends have a Ferrari? How many of your mm-hmm. friends have a Ferrari? None, probably. So why are you comparing yourself to one rich kid on Instagram that's probably hired out a Ferrari? And how many of your friends, like in your friend group, and these probably go out to like, the, the women that I target are girls in their mid-20s and, and 30s that probably have got a lot of kids, etc., and, and families. How many of your friends have got a six-pack? None. I don't have any friends with a six-pack. So why are you then going on the internet and comparing yourself to some random girl who's probably photoshopped it on or is genetically blessed to the gods Mm -hmm. or is just that minority of women that she's worked six years to get that and actually had to eat bugger all to get there? Like, why are we comparing ourselves to somebody, the minority of people that flash their lives on Instagram? So that was something that resonated with me so much. And if someone could, if I could have told myself that, like a year ago, I think it would have changed a lot for me. Would you, would you have listened it, to that advice though a year ago? I don't know. It takes it takes a little while, doesn't it? Mm. You have to what have the desire to want to change. I think Agreed. to to not do those things. Like a lot of women suffer with anxiety and depression and, and and lots of comparison. But the only thing that will ever change that is you wanting to change. And that's that was the thing that I appreciated that I did is that. I didn't want to be like that. I didn't want to be someone who suffered with anxiety every day who compared themselves to random twats on Instagram. I didn't want to be that person. So I took action in making that change. And I really sort of worked on that self-worth of it. But yeah, you've got to want to change. You've got to want to do it. But 
in our society nowadays, social media is a big thing, so you have to learn to deal with it. But like, why? I think a lot of women purposely go out of their way to look at something that they know will upset them. So don't look at it. I was going to touch on a few things. Actually, the first one is that I was actually reading James Smith's "Not a Life Coach," and he had a similar mantra in there. He's like, "Maybe it was that." Yeah, yeah. maybe it was that, that I he, heard it from. He was he, like, yeah, "You see the awesome. Ferrari in the road, and you're like, nice car, and you move on with your day." Whereas we're, in, we're on Instagram. Was, yeah, yeah, it was James. Yeah, because I'm listening to his book. I, mean, I was thinking, who am I listening to? It was him. Yeah, he's incredibly inspiring. Massively. Yeah, he did a good, yeah, good job of, of explaining that. And then the next session was. Um, about how which actions did you take place because i heard you speak the other day about how you you know you log off of instagram or your phone at the end of the day and you put it in a drawer so what action steps have you taken from being you know quite anxious comparing a lot to where you find yourself today yeah so i think anxiety is a a lack of making a decision isn't it that's where anxiety stems from the uncertainty right yeah um so the the first thing that i did worked with um obviously kieran on creating an evening routine first of all because you find that you're you're most vulnerable sometimes when you're quite exhausted you think about a stressful day etc and actually just focusing on myself was the biggest thing so by now everyone sort of probably uh, i think they all follow that i have a morning routine i do a morning for me so it doesn't matter what time you start work or what I do, I make sure I get up in the morning and the one thing I don't do is look at my phone. So I make sure that if I do look at my phone, I look at my bank or something like that, I do not let myself look on social media. I don't reply to client messages, anything. I don't do anything before I've done something for me for at least an hour. So yeah. I'll get myself up, I'll tidy my flat, I'll go out for a walk, listen to a really motivating podcast and I've then set myself up for a really like well thought out day. So First of all, actually giving yourself time for you because you're focusing on yourself and, like, there's no one else that's more important than you. Like, I used to get up and reply to client messages at 5am because I was worried. And I was giving myself anxiety, like, they don't need me to reply at 5am. Like, I'm not their mum. Like, they can wait till 9. They're probably not even awake (laughs) at (laughs) 5am. Yeah, I was, yeah. I used to get up at half four. No, they were clients. Oh, yeah, I know. That's it. Like, it's just crazy. Um, And then the biggest, I think the... One of the other biggest things is that evening routine. So I will not work after a certain time now because, again, what what's the point? Like, I, I did it the other day accidentally, but if you work past, past a certain time, the constant hits of dopamine that you're getting from working, the stress, keeps you awake. Mm-hmm. So I have a rule of, like, I don't, apart from my webinar night, I don't work past 7 o'clock. Like, I don't even really work past half five anymore because, wow. like, you have to get a balance in your life. Like, there's no point in living life if you're not actually enjoying your own life. Does that make sense? hundred like, percent. Yeah. So I, I don't work past a certain time anymore. What I do is I'll make my dinner. As soon as I make my dinner, my phone goes off and goes in my bedroom. I don't look at it again till the morning. And that has given me the ability to not scroll on social media. I don't get distracted with crap. Uh, and I can actually like sit and relax and you fully react. Like if you lay on the sofa, scroll on your phone, you're not relaxing. You're no. giving those hits of dopamine and that's what keeps you awake. So actually just being able to relax, write a bit of a dump pad. I've got an A4 page. If I've got things on my mind, I'll write an A4 page, clear out my mind, have a chamomile tea. And yeah, I am good to go. I'm sleeping like a baby now. And on to the next. And if you're a frequent listener of the Simply Fit podcast, you know that I have no interest in you just improving your health and fitness for a season. I want you to be able to maintain optimal health and fitness for life. And in episode 28 with Danny Lai, we spoke about some of the keys to longevity. And here's what he had to say on the topic. So I think finding the diet that works for you, whatever form it is, is going to be key, right? So if 
you know, doing keto works really well for you and you feel great on it, then choose keto. But, you know, it doesn't mean that you have to, that everyone should do it, mm-hmm. right? If vegan works for you best or going high carb works for you best, you just need to choose the right diet that makes you feel great, that you can sustain and turn into a lifestyle, right? We don't, we never talk about, you know, the diet after the diet. Mm-hmm. What's in our faces at the moment are these 12 week transformations, the 16 week transformations, where you, you know, you're almost led to believe that you're going to have to change something um, in your lifestyle, your diet. And once you've finished, you know, however many weeks you come off the diet, right? But it's, a, it's an evolution, right? And it's kind of like, you know, the, the, um, the evolution of man. Mm-hmm. You've seen that the, the evolution of man where you start with the, the little chimp and it grows into, yeah. you know, the Neanderthal and obviously the Homo sapien. It's like that, right? You, you, you essentially evolve into a new person and your, the way you live, the, the habits, your behaviors, the way you eat is all going to need to change in accordance to what suits you. Absolutely. And I think um, a very hard thing to overcome and something that I think all of us will have to at some point. And even if you are a competitor, because I know I had this as well, um, even when I was competing, it's just like, there's this finish line mentality. You know, it's all about reaching the goal. And then kind of once I hit the goal, things will go back to normal, you know, and you'll have friends and family asking you when you're dieting, when are you going to start eating normally again? And you get into this mindset that things are going to go back to normal. But the harsh reality of this is that if you want to maintain your results long-term, the person, and like you said, and this is the evolution thing, the person who entered that diet is not the same human being that finishes it. And if you go back, you are, you know, de-escalating. You're going back in form of your evolution. I don't know what the opposite of evolution is, but you're regressing, right? And you wouldn't do that in life anyway. So that's where I think a lot of people have a, a tough time realizing that their identity to a degree will change, right? Like they can no longer, if they're the guy who goes out to the bar and is the one known to smash the most drinks, can't be that guy anymore, right? Well, you can't be, you might be able to, but like once a week or once every two weeks, it just really depends on where your priorities lie. But yeah, your whole behaviors and your habits and everything like that has to change, right? And really, for me, it comes down to a lot of identity, right? Yeah, absolutely. Your, your whole identity has to change, but that's not to say that, you know, you can't structure in some flexibility. Mm-hmm. I, just, I think one of the, you know, the, the biggest things that we see, you know, you've, you've heard the whole 95% of diets fail, right? And, mm-hmm. you know, it, the, the, so the question is, what do the 5% do differently? And what we see is that those individuals practice some form of structured flexibility. They allow themselves that flexibility to go off piece once in a while, whether it's sort of a, the 80-20 rule or the 90-10 rule, they do things, the majority of things largely well, knowing that they have just a little bit of a treat or, or something fun for themselves, which is going to create a better environment where they can sustain the diet, essentially. Yeah, I think you make a good point there. And I think the the most challenging aspect is when you are coming out of a diet, it's just, there's such a big contrast from how you entered. Right. So yeah, you don't, you know, you don't have to be this newfound fitness person, this super health and conscious, the health and conscious person that only eats X, Y, and Z foods. 
But because your mentality and your lifestyle prior to coming into a journey, which is the reason you started in the first place, was so different to where you finished, it's, you know, you've never experienced that mid-ground, right? And I think that people have a lot of tough time establishing where they fall within that line. And I, I made an Instagram video on the other day. I was like, it's not about choosing like what you want. It's about choosing the sacrifices and the problems you're willing to have, right? I think you've got to determine like, do I want to stay within two to three kilos of this weight that I've just lost? Or am I okay, you know, having an extra pizza a week, an extra beer a week and being maybe six to seven kilos heavier? I think once you establish what your priorities are, and you, you know, you sit around there, then you can align your actions to them. And I, I think the people are caught in the middle. They either think they prioritize health and wellness so much and want to be within touching distance of where they've just been, which makes sense, right? Because if you've just got this body that you've never had before, you want to maintain it. But the reality is, is they actually value friendship more. They value family more. They value those interactions that they have where food is present within those and they want to enjoy that food. And I think once you make that decision of where you, where you stand and what sacrifices and problems you're willing to have, you have a lot better chance of maintaining results long-term, right? Yeah. And just to come full circle, I think it's, it's about just making it as easy for yourself as possible. Mm. So some people can meal prep um, and makes it so much easier for them, you know, by saving them time throughout the week. Some people intermittent fast, some people remove whole food groups like keto, whatever works for you is just, is going to be so much easier to, to sustain for the long term, right? Next up was our deep dive on all things woman's health in episode 30 with Sophie May. And even if you're a male listening right now, I urge you to keep listening as there's a good chance you've got a partner, a sister, a mother, a female friend in your life that you might be able to help. Here's what Sophie had to say on what to do if you're experiencing challenges with your monthly cycle. Coming from a female, like I think you have to try and get over that sort of, oh, I'm going to feel shit and take it as it comes. Mm-hmm. If I did feel shit, okay, maybe I'll, you know, take an afternoon off and lie, like watch some TV and actually rest because I actually genuinely do. Whereas I used to be that person that would be like, okay, I'm definitely going to feel shit next week. I may not be. And I'd set myself up to, to feel sorry for myself because it was arriving. And not to mention that as well, but if you have to write off, you know, a week of every month, then there's something deep going on. Whereas, you know, and that's not the women's fault. That's, that's like I said, the lack of education that women think that they're meant to be like, oh, it's just period, like it's just mm-hmm. PMS when it's not meant to be like that. But we're growing up taught that we're meant to have, you know, oh, you're going to have this, you're going to have period pain, you might get this. And it's like, well, no, that's common, but it's not normal to have all those symptoms. Yeah. And I, I think another big thing for me with, with the women's health side of things is that I used to be that person with loads of PMS, whereas now... I sometimes I don't even, you know, if I didn't track it, I wouldn't know it was coming. Mm-hmm. I, I, you know, a couple months ago, I was, I did like a really, I had a really good leg workout. Next day I got myself my period and I was just like, wow, like, you know, I feel fine. Mm-hmm. So if I, if I was that person to be like, oh, I'm getting my period in, th- in three days, I might just take it easy when I didn't need to. There's also that side of things as well. And that's exactly what you said is just, taking it as it comes, but not to mention as well that, you know, the other thing that you said about, you know, clients, PMS and cycles getting better over time. Yeah. People forget that your cycle is, is a big process that so many things can, can stress it out. You know, low body fat, under eating, over exercising, stress, all these things can affect your cycle. And people forget that all round health is important for the menstrual cycle. That doesn't just mean, you know, 
eating well. It's also, you know, and there's such a big stigma at the moment now with the whole health at every size kind of thing. But if you're if you're too underweight or if you're too overweight, your menstrual cycle possibly most likely will be affected. Uh-huh. And it, you, your menstrual cycle needs whole whole body health in every way. You know. Correct, you know, thyroid, insulin levels, um, good diet, avoiding too much alcohol, smoking, maintaining a healthy weight, exercise, like all these things contribute to a good cycle. One of the best things I've ever heard about the menstrual cycle from Lara Bryden, who is an incredible women's health sort of naturopathic doctor. She says, you know, in the way that she describes it is incredible. She says, your period is like a monthly report card. So if, mm. if you get your period and you've had an absolute horrible time, why we need to look into why you're having such a horrible time because it doesn't need to be like that if you're having a good time with it minimal pms you're feeling fine if you're a little bit tired then that's obviously quite normal to be not as feeling as good as around mid-cycle but to be written off isn't so if you look at it like that you can sort of judge your health and be like okay do i need to change something to to be healthier if that makes sense as well. Yeah, monthly report card. I like that a lot. That's good. Mm. And now I want a male monthly report card. It's actually sounding more <laughs> beneficial to have your menstrual cycle. You guys cycle don't now. get that benefit. <laughs> no, we don't. Um, so that's a good point. And actually, I want to dig deep. And there's two things I want to say. And I kind of want to just refer to my Audible library because I remember there was a book <laughs> and there was something referenced in it. And I just want to make sure that I find the book. And they yeah. basically did a study or they actually just took people from like a a distant country is like a tribe like they basically went into a tribe and they spoke to the females in there and then obviously they were having their menstrual cycles and they tried to explain the concept of pms and just like the symptoms mm-hmm. that they would have and there was no understanding of it in their minds whatsoever they didn't actually know and i just want to know what this book was called because it, it, it might sound like That's i'm making really yeah and it was like almost like because society talks about and like we said the people know SIBO into it and it becomes something that you know people start to expect they do think that, oh, I'm supposed to have these symptoms and everything along these lines. Mm-hmm. But in fact, those people, you know, it's not to say that they don't exist, but when, you know, it's probably a good sign to say that if you are in a tribe, you know, your stress is probably a lot lower. You're probably getting time outdoors a lot. You're probably getting, you know, a good amount of sleep, sleeping, you know, with the natural rhythm of the day and everything like that, mm-hmm. then the severity of it can reduce. And it's called Behave by Robert M. Sapolsky. It's a really, really yeah. hefty book. It's like, Interesting. It's 26 hours long on Audible. So that's, that gives you some context on how long it is. But yeah, so basically. You know take a day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. So yeah, he just explores that. So I thought that was an interesting note to make. And just before we move that's on so from that, I want to ask if someone says, okay, I'm, I'm sleeping well, I'm eating well, I'm training well, but I am getting into a position where I'm kind of in a debilitating position when I'm having my cycle. Where do, how do they dig deeper? What are they looking into exactly? Yeah, so this is a good one. And I think one thing I love about this is the fact that it's almost like, I don't know how to say this without kind of being a bit blunt, but, you know. Be blunt, we like it here. (laughs) I know, it's almost like you don't want to. Okay, so if you're eating well, sleeping well, exercising and stuff, like how good is it? Because it's kind of like if your period, it doesn't mean you're doing something wrong, but if your period's really bad, then there is something internal going on, Mm -hmm. whether that is a hormonal imbalance, whether that is possible, you know, is, is your cycle regular? Is it, is it just painful? Do we need to look into maybe why that's, that's occurring, you know, and that's why endometriosis goes undiagnosed so much because people kind of just brush off the period pain as part of their period. So it's like, okay, we want to rule things out, you know, maybe I think blood work is a great place to start, mm-hmm. but then there's so many kind of symptoms and things that, you know, for example, 
something as simple as dairy can can cause a little bit of period pain. So things like that, maybe if you're eating well, exercising, getting good sleep and you've got those sort of foundations in place, we can maybe dig a little bit further. So are we consuming maybe a lot of dairy? Can we try and... like cut that out for a couple months and just see if it helps. Interesting. If it doesn't, no worries, maybe just introduce it back in. But it's always worth a shot to see if, if something like that can, it's the A1 casein in dairy that can cause havoc with some, some people's periods. I find magnesium is great for PMS, period pain, stuff like that. And the biggest thing with magnesium is, I think everyone knows I bang on about it all the time, but the thing with magnesium is, it's not only hard to get enough from food, if you even if you eat all the foods it's in, you know, nuts and seeds, bananas, you know, in a banana, there's probably about 27 milligrams of magnesium, which, which you know, if you need about 300 milligrams, it's, it's really not that much. Mm-hmm. So it's almost like, even if you're eating all those foods, you possibly may need more. And the thing with magnesium is the fact that when your body is stressed, whether it's men, you know, psychological or physical, like things like that. And we live in the modern world and everyone will experience some form of stress. Yeah. Your body actually dumps magnesium. So I think that, you know, trying to stay on top of your magnesium stores with just food is, is going to be difficult. And I think I always suggest magnesium to clients if they experience this because it's worth a shot to try. And, you know, you can't even test levels of magnesium because it lives deep inside your cells. So it's always worth a shot to take some magnesium. And I just think it has so many benefits that it's really not going to do any harm. Um, you know, it's an essential nutrient. So that's always a good thing I suggest to someone if they've got, you know, oh, everything's good, but I'm still experiencing this. And then, you know, depending on the severity or, or what the symptoms are, if it's pain, for example, like really, really bad, yeah. I then possibly be like, okay, maybe we need to look further and dig into do we have any sort of signs of endometriosis, any other symptoms relating to that just to rule it out or, you know, things like that, I think. And we don't want to kind of like brush it off as normal because so many people think that it is normal and they're just happy to take or, you know, ibuprofen every day for their period. And then sort of, you know, it kind of, they kind of just get used to that. Next up, we have episode 37 with Tej Patel. My favorite part of this is where we spoke about integrating your kids into your health and fitness journey. I speak to a lot of parents who are concerned about this and hearing Tej's take on this, who is a mother herself with two children, was a breath of fresh air. And here's what she had to say on that topic. Yeah, this is actually quite a key thing because I'm my like my daughter, she used to be extremely physically active when she was um, like before lockdown, mm-hmm. extremely active. And now she like over lockdown, obviously activity level, levels died down. She wasn't that interested in Joe Wicks's PE sessions every morning. <laughs> no comment. Sorry. I love you, Joe Wicks. Sorry. <laughs> I'll tell him that when he's on the podcast one day. <laughs> <laughs> Can I come on as well? She wasn't wasn't that interested. And um, so we tried really hard to find ways of her being physical within her own life. Like she had a a goal of doing cartwheels and things like that. And she loved, because obviously she knows I write training plans. She loved writing little exercise circuits and stuff. And we do it for fun. Mm. And we play games more so outside but she did, obviously, just by sheer nature of being less active than she was at school and having less structured um, eating times, she did obviously, you know, put on a little bit of weight, which is obviously fine as a child. Mm-hmm. 
we didn't make a thing of it, but she started noticing it because obviously certain things no longer fit her. And I, I don't really talk about this because I feel like it's her personal journey, but I think it's important that people do know that kids, like she, obviously I am a, a body transformation coach and she hears that kind of language all the time, but more so, this is why I started changing my language, especially since lockdown, about the fact that this is all about bringing out the best in you. If you are at your best right now, it does not matter. It does not matter what you're, you know, what you're choosing above anything else and you, that you are happy and healthy is the most important thing, okay? Do you have energy to run around? If mummy ran after you, would you be able to run and, mm. and mummy not catch you? If not, then what do you need to do? <laughs> do you want me to catch you and tickle the absolute life out of you? She's like, no, 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 no. <laughs> then we need to get faster. Let's work on getting you faster, okay? We make it more of a fun thing, like be active to feel good, to be fitter, to be weller, to weller. Is that even a word? <laughs> 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 and then also she knows that once she's done that, she is sleeping better. On the days that she's not as physically active, she finds it difficult to get to sleep. So we talk about fitness and health and talking about macros more from a what does my body need right now perspective rather than do I need to lose weight? Do I need to gain weight? Do I look okay? 100%. And, and like, honestly, she will sit there and she's just like, oh, when I grow up, I want to have abs. I'm like, why? What do you actually want abs for? And I'm not saying don't have them, but I'm asking her because I want her to understand her driving factors behind it. If it's because everyone else has it, I've got a whole bunch of education to do there yeah. with her. If it's because she's like, you know, I want to be a fitness model or something like that. Okay, fine. No judgment. She can do that if she wants and we'll work on that. But I want it to be done in a healthy way where mentally she knows that it's not necessary, A, for good health yep. and B that it's not something that she can sustain lifelong. If she wants to look a certain way, that's not going to be a fun part of life. Yes. If she wants to just prove to herself that she can get it and that she has the drive and determination and that she was able to achieve that and then go on and live a, a normal and balanced life, then that's fine. But if she makes it her life source, then again, that's a, whole bunch of education I've got to tap into. Yeah, exactly. And I don't think that that would be unusual because of she, it's not that she's picking up abs. If that is her rationale, she would pick up anything. It's just the one that she's yeah. most familiar with. And to probably exactly. a lot more children, even if their mum isn't a body transformation coach, they're going to see people and people like with the generation of social media and everything along those lines, they are going to see someone. So yeah, I think that that's, going to happen regardless of whether it's choosing abs or choosing to chase the you know the dream job or car or house or that type Very of different success yeah. but yeah no i completely agree and one of the biggest things i say to add to that is like it's all comes down to your terminology right like if you're saying uh mommy's on a diet or daddy's on a diet because of he needs to lose weight because he's fat he's overweight and all this type of stuff then of course you know you don't want you you don't want your adult you don't want adults to hear that let alone children right no. so but if you do it and like you know daddy wants to be healthier you know he wants to wake exactly. up in the morning and feel energetic and you know yeah. That's the route you've got to go down. And same with the children. Like you said, lean into what their interests are. So it's like, okay, they really like football. Do you want to be better at football? Well, guess how you can get an edge that's not skill related. You yeah. eat this food, right? And um, yeah, I think that's, it's good to hear you back that up. And I think I completely agree. It just comes down to your terminology. And then first things first, 
you have to be educated as the parent. So you need to make the effort in your own health and fitness yes. first, right? Otherwise you yeah. can't expect that from them. This is it. It's, it's, it. You have to understand why you are thinking like that in order for them to understand it in the very same way. If your reasons behind doing certain things are not as wholesome and you're sort of, you've got that own ter- your, the terminology that's not helpful for you, of course it's not going to be helpful for them. Mm-mm, 100%. And people got to be aware that most of that will come from their conditioning that they've not worked on yet. So it's going to be a hard one, but they need to be mindful of their own terminology first. And then it's not, an, the issue isn't educating your children or talking to them about these things. You should. It's just you just need to be careful about the way in which you portray and what the language you use, right? Absolutely. And on to the final segment of part one is Katie Ball in episode 55. Katie has been Britain's strongest woman twice in the under 65 kilo category. And after dominating that weight class, she decided to take it one step further and bump herself up into the next weight category where she recently took third. So I had a feeling that we were going to take away a lot of value from this one. So for someone who's focused so much on performance, I was very curious to find out how she's able to center her efforts around this rather than aesthetics, which we all tend to get caught in the trap of. And here's what she had to say about that. I've done a couple of photo shoots uh, in the past. The very first one that I did was really post that phase was the game changer for me when I decided to turn my hand to getting stronger and performing in the gym. And I very sort of quickly learned and and also from the great minds around me that if you want to get stronger, if you want to build more lean mass, then you, you have to eat to perform. You have to fuel to perform and you also have to recover uh, at the same time. And, you know, sitting in a, sitting in a calorie, a perma calorie deficit is going to do you no favors at all in the long term. And it is really, really hard to encourage people to to have that mindset because I firmly believe a lot of decisions that we make come from our experiences of it. And until we try something else uh, and see the benefits of that is really... <sighs> Is really where we're able to make those more informed choices, right? So if if you have somebody, it's kind of supporting them and encourage them to at least dip their toes into the water to what this this different approach to nutrition or training may look like under your uh, under your guidance. And you know, it is super challenging in terms of the the media, the content around us, the the internet access people people have these days, and and. The, the good and the poor information that they take from it to, to inform their decisions, you know, even though that you are there, you are there to coach them. But it's really making sure that they switch their goals if that's what, you know, switch their goals up if that's what they want to do. So if, you know, if they've gone through something of a fat loss phase and then they want to improve specific areas of the body, it's like, okay, let's get stronger in these areas. Let's get stronger in these movements. Let's incrementally build your calories up over time whilst keeping track of of all those variables which you know which tell us how performance is going how scale weight is going you know circumference measurements photos at the same time and also more qualitative factors in terms of well how do you feel now like how much more enjoyable is mm-hmm. your training are you getting more from your training um at the same time because uh, we like feedback as humans don't we we like likes yeah. <laughs> we like scale weights <laughs> we like stuff like that so it is trying to yeah those those things were important important not so much the likes but yeah the data that you take <laughs> from the scale weight but also it, it's looking at the other factors as well so as well you know does that help me to live a more how do we say fruitful life can i enjoy 
myself a little bit better with friends and family now I've switched my goals to strength and strength and performance you know it'll allow me to eat a bit more a bit more food it allow me to push to push more food enjoy these occasions a little bit more rather than living in this calorie deficit but of course it does take time and some people it, it takes more time than others to to transition over yeah, I couldn't agree more. And that reflection, I think, is really important. It's like, okay, you may not be able to pull up your shirt and see the lines in your midsection, but think about how much you can eat now. Think about how much of a better mood you are. Think about, you know, yeah. the quality of life you have. And, you know, you're not having to worry about the scale weight or tracking your macros, for example. Like, I think, yeah, like you said, it, it just requires that shift to what you now have versus what you had before and wishing you were were there because of when you were there, you know, you might have looked great, but you were suffering in other ways, right? Your cardio was way higher than you probably wanted it to be. Your calories were lower than they wanted it to be. So yeah, I think that switch is key. So what would you say to the person who's just starting to see those lines fade in their midsection? You know, they're a little bit larger than what they would consider comfortable. How do you get them through that psychologically? Like even if they're seeing my, my gym numbers are going up, I am enjoying life, but I am really just struggling to be the heavy out of the being, which I think is definitely the case with men and potentially even more the case for females as well. So I would I would remind them of what their of what their goal is. Always come back to the reason why you are doing, you know, the reason why you are doing something ultimately. We all know that scale weight doesn't define us, it doesn't make us a better human being than another human being, um, or, or anything like that. And it's a case of um how do you put it? Just uh, reassurance, like reassurance and mm-hmm. support, and just and just saying to them as well that you know this, you know this is temporary. There's go- there's going to be a time where yeah, you may have a holiday coming up, we may have something like that. And if you want to improve the way you look and your condition, yes, you c- you can go back and you can do that at the same time. But in order for you to push forward with your current goal, whether it's getting stronger, whether it's in- improving your lean mass then we need to be in more of a calorie surplus. Yes, we want to minimize any any body fat that is gained, but at the same time, it is somewhat reversible, but we do have to creep into that a little bit if we want to make those overall improvements. And it's again, trying to in- encourage people to think of the uh, of the longer of the longer term and not, and not just looking at what's in front of them in the mirror um, or on the scales. And it's not, you know, it's not easy. It can be a very sort of aesthetic world that we live in. Uh, unfortunately but yeah we can I think you know the best that you can do as a coach is be be there to support be there to soundboard remind people of, of why they are doing what they are doing and it does it does not define them So that is part one of 12 big lessons from the past 12 months with the guests that we had on. So we'll be coming back with six more lessons next Sunday. So stay tuned for that. If you appreciated and enjoyed this episode, maybe tag some of the guests we had on and some of the points that you took away from today's episode. I hope you enjoyed listening. Take care and I'll speak with you all tomorrow. And that was the Simply Fit Podcast. I hope you gained a huge amount of value from today's episode. I feel inspired to improve your health and well-being. Be sure to search for Simply Fit in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify, or anywhere else you get your podcasts from. And go ahead and subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. Also, if you like the episode, please don't forget to give it a five-star rating. I'd love to hear your feedback or any questions you have. So reach out to me on social media. You'll find me on Facebook and Instagram at Elliot Hassoun. Thank you so much for listening. And I look forward to talking with you all on the next one.